We're in the process of reading the Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Srila Prabhupada's masterpiece summary of the tenth canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, in which he translates the verses and incorporates all the relevant commentaries of the uh, major acharyas of our sampradaya and at the same time on top of that gives his realizations as only he can give uh, through the vision of the one who has studied the world uh, in such a way as to give Krishna to everyone in a way that they can understand. This is a great rarity, unique rarity, not great, unique rarity. Chapter 14, prayers offered by Lord Brahma to Lord, to Lord Krishna. <clears throat> Brahma said, my dear Lord, you are the only worshipable Supreme Lord, the personality of Godhead. Therefore, I am offering my humble obeisances and prayers just to please you. Your bodily features are the color of clouds filled with water. You are glittering with a silver electric aura emanating from your yellow garments. Let me offer my respectful, repeated obeisances under the son of Maharaj Nanda, who is standing before me with conch shell, earrings, and a peacock feather on his head. His face is beautiful. He is wearing a helmet and is garlanded by forest flowers, and he stands with a morsel of food in his hand. He is decorated with a cane, a buffalo horn bugle, and a flute. He stands before me with small lotus feet. My dear Lord, people may say that I am the master of all Vedic knowledge and I am supposed to be the creator of this universe, but it has been proved now that I cannot understand you who are present before me just like a child. You are playing with your boyfriends and calves, which might imply that you do not even have sufficient education. You are appearing just like a village boy, carrying your food in your hand and searching for your calves. And yet there is so much difference between you and your body and mine that I cannot estimate the potency of your body. <clears throat> As I have already stated in the Brahma Sangita, your body is not material. In the Brahma Samhita it is stated that the body of the Lord is all spiritual. There is no difference between the Lord's body and His Self. Each limb of His body can perform the actions of all the others. The Lord can see with His hands. He can hear with His eyes. He can accept offerings with His legs. And He can create with His mouth. Brahma continued, your appearance as a cowherd child is for the benefit of the devotees. 
And although I have committed an offense at your lotus feet by stealing away your boys and calves, I can understand that you have bestowed your mercy upon me. This shows your transcendental quality of being affectionate toward your devotees. But in spite of your great affection for me, I cannot estimate the potency of your bodily activities. It is to be understood that when I, Lord Brahma, the Supreme Personality of this universe, cannot estimate the childlike body of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, then what to speak of others? And if I cannot, under, if I cannot estimate the spiritual potency of your childlike body, then what can I understand about your transcendental pastimes? Therefore, it is, as it is said in the Bhagavad Gita, anyone who can understand a little of the transcendental pastimes, appearance and disappearance of the Lord, becomes immediately eligible to enter into the kingdom of God after quitting the material body. This statement is confirmed in the Vedas where it is stated, Simply by understanding the Supreme Personality of Godhead, one can overcome the chain of repeated birth and death. I therefore recommend that people should not try to understand you by their speculative knowledge. The best process for understanding you is to submissively give up the speculative process and try to hear about you, either from yourself as you have given statements in the Bhagavad Gita and many similar Vedic scriptures or from a realized devotee who has taken shelter at your lotus feet. One has to hear from a devotee without speculation. One does not even need to change his worldly position. He simply has to hear your message. Although you are not understandable by the material senses, Simply by hearing about you, one can gradually conquer the nations of misunderstanding. By your grace only, you become revealed to a devotee. You are unconquerable by any other means. Speculative knowledge, without any trace of devotional service, is simply a useless waste of time without any in the search for you. Devotional service is so important that even a little attempt can raise one to the highest perfectional platform. One should not, therefore, neglect this auspicious process of devotional service and take to the speculative method. By the speculative method, one may gain partial knowledge of your cosmic manifestation, but it is not possible to understand you the origin of everything. The attempt of persons who are interested only in speculative knowledge is simply wasted labor, like the labor of a person who attempts to gain something by beating an empty husk of rice paddy. A little quantity of paddy can be husked by the grinding wheel and one can gain some grains of rice, but if the skin of the paddy has already been beaten by the grinding wheel, there is no further gain by beating even a huge quantity of the husk. It is simply useless labor. My dear Lord, 
There are many instances in the history of human society where a person, after failing to achieve the transcendental platform, engaged himself in devotional service with his body, mind and words and thus attained the highest perfectional stage of entering into your abode. The processes of understanding you by speculation or mystic meditation are all useless without devotional service. One should therefore engage himself in your devotional service even in his worldly activities and one should always keep himself near you by the process of hearing and chanting your transcendental glories. Simply by, simply by being attached to hearing and chanting your glories, one can attain the highest perfectional stage of entering into your kingdom. If a person therefore keeps you, always keeps in touch with you by hearing and chanting your glories, and offers the result of his work for your satisfaction only, he very easily and happily attains entrance into your supreme abode. You are realizable by persons who have cleansed their hearts of all contamination. This cleansing of the heart is made possible by chanting and hearing the glories of your Lordship. The Lord is all-pervading as it is stated by Lord Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita, everything is sustained by me, but at the same time, I am not in everything. Since the Lord is all-pervading, there is nothing existing without His knowledge. The all-pervasive nature of the Supreme Personality of Godhead can never be within the limited knowledge of a living entity. Therefore, a person who has attained steadiness of the mind by fixing the mind on the lotus feet of the Lord is able to understand the Supreme Lord to some extent. It is the business of the mind to wander over varied subject matter for sense gratification. Therefore, only a person who always engages the senses in the service of the Lord can control the mind and be fixed at the lotus feet of the Lord. This concentration of the mind upon the lotus feet of the Lord is called samadhi. Until one reaches the stage of samadhi or trance, one, he cannot understand the nature of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. There may be some philosophers or scientists who can study the cosmic nature from atom to atom. They may be so advanced they can count the atomic composition of the co cosmic atmosphere or all the planets and stars in the sky or even the sun shining molecular particles of the sun or of the stars and other luminaries in the sky. But it is not possible to count the qualities of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. As described in the beginning of the Vedanta Sutra, the Supreme Person is the origin of all qualities. He is generally called Nirguna. Nirguna means whose qualities are beyond estimation. Guna means quality and Nir means beyond estimation. 
But impersonalists interpret this word, nirguna, as having no quality because they are unable to estimate the qualities of the Lord in transcendental realization, they conclude that the Supreme Lord has no qualities. But this, is, but this is actually not the position. The real position is that he is the origin, the original source of all qualities. All qualities are emanating constantly from him. How, therefore, can a limited person count the qualities of the Lord? One may estimate the qualities of the Lord at one moment, but the next moment the qualities have increased, so it is not possible to make an estimation of the transcendental qualities of the Lord. He is therefore called Nirguna. <coughs> One should not uselessly labor in mental speculation to estimate the Lord's qualities. There is no need of adopting the speculative method of executing there is no need of adopting the speculative method or exercising the body to attain mystic yoga perfection. One should simply understand that the distress and happiness of this body are predestined. There is no need to try to avoid the distress of this bodily existence or to attempt to achieve happiness by different types of exercises. The best course is to surrender unto the Supreme Personality of Godhead with body, mind, and words, and always be engaged in His service. This transcendental labor is fruitful, but other attempts to understand the Absolute Truth are never successful. Therefore, an intelligent man does not try to understand the Absolute Truth by speculative or mystic power. Rather, he engages in devotional service and depends on the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He knows that whatever may happen to the body is due to his past fruitive activities. If one lives such a simple life in devotional service, then automatically he inherits the transcendental abode of the Lord. Actually, every living entity is part and parcel of the Supreme Lord and a son of the Godhead. Each has the natural right to inherit and share the transcendental pleasures of the Lord, but due to the contact of matter, conditioned living entities have been practically disinherited. If one adopts the simple method of engaging himself in devotional service, automatically he becomes eligible to be freed from material contamination and elevated to the transcendental position of associating with the Supreme Lord. Lord Prama presented himself to Lord Krishna as the most presumptuous living creature because he wanted to examine the wonder of his personal power. He stole the boys and calves of the Lord in order to see how the Lord would recover them. <laughs> now Lord Brahma admitted that his attempt was most presumptuous for he was attempting to test the, his energy before the person of original energy. Coming to his senses, Lord Brahma saw that although he was a very powerful living creature in the estimation of all other living creatures within this material world, his power was nothing in comparison with the power and energy of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. The scientists of the material world have invented wonders such as atomic weapons. And when tested in a city or some insignificant place on this planet, 
Such powerful weapons create so-called havoc. But if the atomic weapons are tested on the sun, what is their significance? They are insignificant there. Similarly, Brahma's stealing of the calves and boys from Sri Krishna may be a wonderful display of mystic power. But when Sri Krishna exhibited his expansive power in so many calves and boys and maintained them without effort, Brahma could understand that his own power was insignificant. Brahma addressed Lord Krishna as a chuta because the Lord is never forgetful of a little service rendered by his devotee. He is so kind and affectionate toward his devotees that a little service by them is accepted by him as a great deal. Brahma has certainly rendered much service to the Lord. As the Supreme Personality in charge of this particular universe, he is, without a doubt, a faithful servant of Krishna. Therefore, he could appease Krishna. He asked that the Lord understand him as a subordinate servant whose little mistake and impotence might be excused. He admitted that he was puffed up by his powerful position as Lord Brahma. Because he is the qualitative incarnation of the mode of passion within this material world, this was natural for him, and therefore he committed the mistake. But Lord Brahma hoped that since he was, after all, Lord Krishna's subordinate, the Lord would kindly take compassion upon him and excuse him for his gross mistake. Lord Brahma realized his actual position. He is certainly the supreme teacher of this universe, in charge of the production of material nature, consisting of the complete material energy, false ego, sky, air, fire, water, and earth. Such a universe may be gigantic, but it can be measured just as we measure our body as seven spans. Generally, everyone's personal bodily measurement is calculated to be seven spans of his hand. This particular universe may appear as a very gigantic body, but it is nothing but the measurement of seven spans for Lord Prama. Aside from this universe, there are unlimited other universes which are outside the jurisdiction of this particular Lord Prama. Just as innumerable atomic infinitesimal fragments pass through the holes of a screened window, so millions and trillions of universes in their seedling form are coming out from the bodily pores of Mahavishnu. And that Mahavishnu is but a part of a part of the plenary expansion of Krishna. Under these circumstances, although Lord Brahma is the supreme creature within this universe, what is his importance in the presence of Lord Krishna? Lord Brahma therefore compared himself to a little child within the womb of his mother. If the child within the womb plays with his hands and legs, and while playing touches the body of the mother, is the mother offended with the child? Of course she isn't. Similarly, Lord Brahma may be a very great personality, and yet not only Brahma, but everything that be is existing within the womb of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. The Lord's energy is all-pervading. There is no place in the creation where it is not acting. Since everything is existing within the energy of the Lord, the Brahma of this universe and the Brahmas of the many other millions and trillions of universes are existing within the energy of the Lord. 
Therefore the Lord is considered to be the mother and everything existing within the womb of the mother's mother is considered to be the child. And the good mother is never offended with the child, even if he touches the body of the mother by kicking his legs. That ends this afternoon's reading. However, we have a few minutes for reflections. I have one reflection. I thought you said you had a reflection. I do, but you are you becoming Maya Body? You become Maya Body. I did. Field fly rule. This is love. You're exhibiting what we shouldn't do with Maya Body philosophies. I'm you, and you are me, and all of us are in it together. <coughs> well, you know, when all the Vishnu forms came out, one thing that I, amazed me was that in Vaikuntha. A lot of, not everyone, but a lot of the, soul, of the male forms have the same forms of Vishnu exactly. Except for one thing. Well, the two things. No Kushtuba. Two things. I mean, no. Shibats and Kushtuba. So the, the thing in the, in, the, in the verses it said that each one of them had Shibats. Shibats. Complete. Purnam. And Lord Brahma said, Oh my God. <laughs> What's, that was the what's of OMG. going on here? <laughs> That's where it came from. There it is. O M G. And therefore, <laughs> well, this is not exactly on the topic, but it was while I was reading, I was noticing how my there's a function in my brain that pairs words together, like I say, mystic. What do you think, mystic? Potency, mystic, yogi. I mean, there's combinations and permutations of words that we're so used to, they're kind of stored in a little file, and they come popping out when you read. So you have to, like, at least I have to bypass that yes. function, that special function yes. that comes in. Just like on the computer, you, if it's programmed in there, it goes, no, nah, that's, <laughs> that's not what I asked for. But I, just in the, I was just noticing the fact that Krishna creates all these bodies in such a um, fascinating way. They can learn, store things, do all the stuff that technology is doing. The other thing I was hankering for was I watched the 10th canto, all the verses as Prabhupada's unpacking them, summarizing them here. Oh yeah. Because they're all such great verses. One of the years, in fact it might have been the first year we were here, we we chanted that chapter 14 every day mm. and uh, because it's one of the most important chapters in the Bhagavatam for the Gaudiya Vaishnavas. It's the chapter in which totally proves how Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Yeah. A few other thoughts? I'm just uh, rediscovering the Krishna book. Somehow through the years I've read Bhagavatam when the uh, trilogy came out well it was already out actually but we we used to take those trilogies and we go 
There was three paperback books in a box. The screen person we got it. They looked so cool. They come in a tall box, and then they have these plastic cords on it, and you snap the cords off, and you take out these sets. And we used to go to the uh, outdoor movie theaters at night. And I was just, it just came into my mind going around with Sarvabhoma. You know what a drive-in theater is? You drive your car into the theater and they have a huge screen and they have a hookup that goes in your car and you can sit there and watch and eat all kinds of stuff in the car and watch the movie. And so we, we would sneak around and knock on people's windows. And then we put a Christian book trilogy in. The reason I thought of it when you said how extraordinary the Christian book was, that they were going here, there, and everywhere. And the way that Prophet so expertly inserted this into modern Western society. You know, he translated, he had George Harrison do the... Oh, did I, got it, I got it, I got it, sorry. I got to interrupt. I got to tell you a story about when George Harrison came to San Francisco to a concert. And we had those trilogies. And we went car to car in the parking lot as they were coming in. All we had to say is, George wants, to, wants you to have one of these. And it was like, they were going out like hot cakes. Like, I have to say, I set a record there that day. It didn't last very long. It didn't last very long. I think we did like 675 you know, trilogies, just in a very short period of time. And that uh, they couldn't get the money out faster. They couldn't get any of the Christian will save the Christian consciousness from the The way the Ford Escort saved the Ford Motor Company, they didn't think they were going to go down. But the, the, the movement was broke, busted, and disgusted. And then the Christian book came out. The, people were, the temple presidents were thinking, how are we going to make any money? And then. The Christian book started. All I need is love, Apple. And it started from it. We used to take the, the, uh, we take the, the picture out from the Christian book that said, from Apple. We were making it to, we make it into a little badge, and we go around to concerts. Everyone with Apple. We followed that tour. Did you, did, 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 uh, it must have been the jobs figured it out to Apple. Which came first? There's a quote, please. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. There's a, there's a question online by Chetan, Dr. Chetan. I thought it was the Apple company. <laughs> so he says, I find it difficult to distribute Karma Yoga, the book. He says, one must engage in devotional service even in worldly activities. How can we explain about karma yoga to general people? You tell them. Uh -huh. Tell them. Do it. You got the hobby yeah, hand. You tell them. Do it. Do it. So, what you can explain to people is that um, when they engage their money in the service of Krishna, then um, it becomes purified. Actually, Krishna mentions this in the 12th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita in a progression of verses and he mentions there that if you can't do anything else at least give your money in, in the service of Krishna so in that sense you can say 
karma means action or activity, so their work translates towards their towards, towards their money, and then you can have them. Uh, you can explain it in that way. Now say what you say for each uh, book in the set for Lisa. Okay. Starting with how you stop them. So we distribute a set of books, seven books called Saptarishi. And what we do is when we approach somebody, um, the general formula, hey, where are you from? Um, the response, whatever. I, I love that place. Um, then we ask them, you look like a spiritual person, what's your secret? I'll say whatever they say. And then you say, really? On a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you like to read? And most people, when you ask this question, they, they, yeah. they usually say 10, 11. And they usually, great! Put the stack in their hand. And then, starting from the bottom book, which is the Science Self-Realization, we say, this book, it teaches you how to open up the secrets of the self within nature and the universe. It's actually written on the back cover. Let me say it like this. Then the journey of self-discovery. It explains that when it explains, it teaches you about um, material problems, spiritual solutions, and how you can solve problems in life from the spiritual platform. Then we go to Bhagavad Gita and we say, Bhagavad Gita was read by Gandhi, Emerson, Thoreau, Martin Luther King. What's your name, by the way? Jack? Really? I want to put your name on the list. <laughs> so they start laughing when you say that. Then there's Krishna book. I just say this, this book is about Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Gada. Um, and go on to teachings of Lord Chaitanya. This book is about a great saint who traveled all over the world in South India from door to door to teach people about self-realization. Then there's Nectar of Devotion. We tell them this book is the, is the law book to Bhakti Yoga. Um, and usually, this is one anecdote that Prabhupada uses. He'll say that the closest thing to spiritual love is, is the love between the mother and the child. So I'll, if it's, if it's, especially if it's um, uh, Mataji, I'll, I'll, I'll use that example. And they just completely, oh, I got to get this. Then, uh, then there's the Srimad Bhagavatam, where we say that this book, it teaches you how to be able to distinguish between reality and illusion. So, here, please take the set. It's not for sale, like in a bookstore. If you notice, it's from the BBT, which is the uh, book publisher company that we're a part of. And they give us the books, and they just ask us to cover the printing. And we just ask, uh, and it's just, and how, how much do you think this, actually in Barnes & Nobles, how much do you think they would charge for a set of books like this? At least a hundred. One, one, one twenty-five. <laughs> at least minimum. At least two hundred. They charge twenty a book, thirty a book. But we just do it for seven a book, forty-nine for the whole stack. Take one home. I'll take six. <laughs> How do you know? So the glories of Krishna, his pastime after Brahma stole the cows. We heard the secrets of the Shaktarishi and. Now we'll take our lunch break. Go, Kramer, and then. Not to the Armar Man. 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 Not to the Armar Man.